0: we <laughs> Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope! On behalf of Nathan and myself, welcome to Christ in Prophecy!
1: Can the books of Genesis and Revelation really be taken literally? That's the important question we've been addressing in this four-part Christ in Prophecy series titled, Epic Battles of the Bible, Genesis vs. Revelation. We've been showing you excerpts from our streaming conference, which you can watch in its entirety on our Christ in Prophecy YouTube channel. We partnered with Eric Hoven of Creation Today Ministries and Dr. Joe Martin of Biblical Discipleship Ministries to help us combat the abuse of God's Word when one spiritualizes the interpretation of Scripture. To spiritualize means to argue that the plain-sense meaning of Scripture is not its true meaning. People love to spiritualize the Scriptures because when they do, they can make the Bible say whatever they please, and in the process they get to play God. Spiritualizing one's interpretation of the Bible inevitably results in diminishing one's understanding of God and His plan of salvation. What a travesty!
0: We here at Lamb and Lion Ministries instead firmly believe that the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, should be understood from a literal interpretation based on the golden rule of interpretation. If the plain sense makes sense, look for no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense.
1: In our first episode, Eric Hovind addressed a controversial debate in Genesis, a literal global flood. In our second episode I addressed a controversial debate from the book of Revelation, a literal thousand-year kingdom. If you missed these episodes, we invite you to watch them on our website at ChristInProphecy.org, our Christ in Prophecy YouTube channel, or download our Lamb and Lion app.
0: In this episode Dr. Joe Martin swings back to the book of Genesis to address a literal six-day creation. The Bible begins with these words in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we believe that this biblical declaration is both literal and true, as Job will prove. We're going to pick up just after Job's wonderful testimony about he, as an evolutionist, became a creationist. Afterwards, we'll come back and answer some of the more hotly debated objections skeptics have about the book of Genesis. And here now is Job Martin.
2: And so let's talk a little bit about those days in Genesis. Couldn't those days in Genesis chapter 1 be indefinite long periods of time, like a billion years each? That's what I hear all the time uh, in the churches where we go. And uh, so were they normal days or were they long periods of time? Well, the, the Hebrew word that's used there is yom. Uh, that means day. And everywhere else in the Hebrew language that you have the word Yom with a number, a numerical qualifier, day one, day two, day three, it always means normal day. That's how it reads in Genesis chapter one. Then also each of those days is half light and half dark. So if you had a billion year, each day is a billion years like evolution demands. Evolution has to have billions of years. Well, then we got a problem because each day is half light and half dark. So you'd have Half a billion years of darkness, followed by half a billion years of unrelenting light. Well, we know that doesn't work. And then you ask some questions like, how old was Adam when he died? Adam was 930 years old when he died. A Genesis one day is equal to a billion years. He lived through, let's say, half of day six, all of day seven. So there's a billion and a half years and 930. So was Adam one billion, 930? 1,500,930 1, 930 years old when he died? No, no, we know that. We know that's not true. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, God tells us what He means by day. He said, There were days, there were seasons, there were years. Genesis chapter 1. Right in Genesis 1, He compares a day to a season and a year. Well, if a year is equal to a billion years, a day is equal to a billion years, how long then is a season. It's 90 days long. That's 90 billion years. If a day is equal to a billion years in Genesis 1, how long is a year? Well, you can't do it. You absolutely can't do it. And then uh, uh, over here in Exodus, right in the Ten Commandments, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20, about verse 9, God says to people, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Okay, how many, how long is a work day that we work? Is there any question about that? I mean, does anybody go off and work for six billion years? Uh, no, we know what those words mean. It might, it might seem like billions of years sometimes, but those are normal days, right in the Ten Commandments. For thou shalt labor, six days shalt thou labor, and do all thy work. Well, then in verse 11 of Exodus 20, God says, for in six days, hey, the same kind of people, the same kind of days you work, God says, I worked, and within a six-day week, made up of the same kind of days you people work, I made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. God says He worked normal days to do everything that He did, everything in the earth, the sea, the heavens, everything, within a six-day week of the same kind of days we work. That's as clear as it can be. Those days can't be billions of years each. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, God is going uh, he, he, he goes three judgments. He has second coming judgment, the flood judgment of Noah's day, the fire judgment that is yet in the future. And after he talks about those three judgments, which is scary if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he says, well, maybe we ought to look at that. Second uh, Peter chapter three, and we'll go down here to about verse nine. He says, but beloved, Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. Oh, oh, that means those days in Genesis could be any amount of time, right? He says right there, a day is like a thousand years. But they don't finish the verse, people that use that argument. And a thousand years as one day. God is not telling us the days in Genesis were like a thousand years each. He's telling us His heart. Now, how do we know? Because of the next verse. Look what He says in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, God is above time, but I think what He's saying here is, look, here's my heart. As I wait for you to come to repentance, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, a day is like a thousand years. But... The day you come to repentance, if I waited a thousand years, it's like a day. I think that's all he's trying to tell us right there. All right. So the genealogies people. Oh, yeah, but there could be millions of years missing in the genealogies. You know, there, there's, there's room to put your billions of years right there in the genealogies. Well, let's think about that for just a minute. Uh, if a genealogy in the genealogies, what do we have? Well, they're the tables of the generations of people. Now, what do evolutionists say were the last things to evolve? People. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means people are already here because we have genealogical tables, which is telling us the record of people. Everything else is already here because evolution says the last things to evolve were people. Well, if everything else is here, then even if you had billions of years missing in the genealogical tables in the Bible, it wouldn't help you with evolution because everything is here. And so that argument doesn't work. So what can we do? We can just trust God that He has told us everything He wanted to tell us. And uh, uh, let me go here for a second. Okay, so... What do we have in the genealogical tables? We know it was seven generations from Adam to Enoch. That's in Jude, verse 14. So there's nothing missing there. And then we also know that uh, Adam overlapped Lamech. Adam and Lamech, it's like Adam and Lamech. Hey, Lamech, my great, 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 great grandson. Come here, I want to tell you something. I shouldn't have eaten of that fruit. And uh, Lamech then is... Uh, Shem's granddaddy. And so Lamech comes uh, and talks to Shem. Hey, here's what your great, 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 great granddaddy Adam told me. Then Shem comes through the flood, out the other end. Shem overlaps Abraham by at least 50 years. Shem probably talked to Abraham. They all lived right around there. Well, what does that mean? There are no huge gaps in the genealogical tables, but it wouldn't help you even if there were. So you have to decide, what do I believe? Do I believe that God created everything about 6,000 years ago, just like he says in the Bible? And that's all we could get from the Bible. So that means people at the very beginning. What's this? Mark chapter 10, verse 6. God made male and female people from the very beginning. Well, when was the beginning? According to the Bible, about 6,000 years ago. But if you say, oh, those days in Genesis, they could be a billion years each. Well, then you're looking at the way evolution looks at this whole thing. And what does that do? That puts man at the very end of about a 15 billion year period. So which one do you believe? Do you believe uh, man at the beginning, like the Bible says, Or do you believe man at the very end, the very last second, geologically speaking, of a 15 billion year period? Which one? Which one do you believe? See, down in your heart, you have to decide. Am I going to believe God's word or man's word? And that's the issue. Who am I going to believe? We can believe the Bible and we can believe the gospel. All right. Now, I jumped ahead a little bit. So I'm going to go back. And uh, mention a couple other things here. Uh, let's keep this in mind, first of all. Isaiah 48:11, uh, God says, I will not share my glory. Evolution robs God of His glory. It steals His praise. What's the whole purpose of evolution? I can be here without God. I'll show you a quote in a minute on that. So, we don't want to rob God of His glory. Now, another thing. If the Laodicean church represents, it was a real church, but does it also represent the church of the last days before Jesus comes? I believe it does. The lukewarm church. That's the church as we go around from church to church. Mostly lukewarm. Well, look what Jesus calls himself in Revelation chapter 3. Down there about verse 14. He says, And this is the revelation of Jesus. And he is speaking through uh, John. He says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith who? Now he's going to name himself Jesus, the Amen. Well, if that's the church of the last days, that's a perfect name, the Amen. Okay, this one's it. I'm coming. Okay. Then he calls himself the faithful and true witness. Well, the church of the lukewarm church of the last days, They don't believe the Word of God. We go to churches, they don't even have Bibles, okay? They don't believe the Word of God. So he says, I am that faithful and true witness. My Word is true, it's faithful. And then he calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. Another characteristic of the last days church. They don't even believe in creation. I mean, they believe in all kinds of different words of man, various ways of thinking about evolution, day age, theistic evolution, progressive creation, framework, hypothesis, all those things. But it's not what God says. So they've compromised what God says. They're not believing exactly what God says. So what are some of the reasons why a Christian worldview should be grounded in a biblical creation? Young earth, global flood. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, if a Big Bang created the world, and that's what they believe, back there some Big Bang went kaboom, That's what is that? That's no one plus nothing equals everything because there's no God there. So there's no explanation or source for where things like logic, the ability to think, where'd they come from? Explosions don't create those kinds of things. The first 11 chapters of Genesis hold all the major doctrines of the Bible. They're all there. If those chapters are not factual as written, they're allegory, they're poetry. And by the way, they're not poetry. Genesis 1, that's not poetry. What is Hebrew poetry? Subject, verb, object. God created a fish. That's poetry. That's how it reads in English, not how it reads in Hebrew. What is Hebrew narrative? Verb, subject, object. Created God the fish. Created God the plant, etc. So Genesis is written in straightforward historical Hebrew narrative. And there's no question about that. So it's not poetry, it's not allegory, okay? But if it was, then Adam is not a real Adam. Adam was some kind of metaphor. Well, that means Jesus isn't the real Jesus because the New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. Is Jesus a metaphor? No, absolutely not. Man has value and worth because he's created in the image of God. If he was just the result of a random accidental chance explosion, his greater value to society would be to die after producing some new mutation, of course. And that that would bring in a higher life form, and, and that would take his place. So he needs to get out of there. He, no more worth than blue-green algae or something, all right? So a Big Bang explosion couldn't create beauty. How an explosion create beauty and regularity and symmetry and law and predictability and, and things like love and music, logic? explosions don't do that. Only God could do that. No observable science supports the idea that random chance mindless processes brought everything into existence. Absolutely. None.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Job. One of the things I'm curious about Uh, I joked earlier about you being a wise guy, but really we have great respect for your wisdom. So with your understanding, how did these uh, creations that God put on earth, from the the animals, the plants, to mankind Himself, appear old, or did they have to grow up? In other words, did God try to fool uh, the the creation by having an appearance of age? Explain that thought to us.
2: Well, uh, we just have to believe what God says. And what does he say? On day six, he created Adam. Now, was Adam a little baby? I mean, it, oh, look at this. No, he's a full. OK, I'll make this up. Let's say Adam is walking around in the garden. And here comes uh, Michael, the archangel. And Michael says, well, hello, my name's Michael. Adam says, well, my name is Adam. And Michael says, well, how old are you, Adam? Adam says, oh, I'm 10 minutes old. God just made me like I am 10 minutes ago. Uh, he was created fully mature. He, he puts Adam, God puts Adam to sleep and he takes out a rib. Genesis chapter 2, by verse where is it, 22 or so. He takes out a rib and he makes Eve. And Adam wakes up and there's Eve. And Adam says, well, Eve, you're just beautiful. How old are you, Eve? No, nope. 10 seconds. "God, just, <laughs> No, you got to be 20 years old. No, I'm only 10 seconds old. Uh, Eve says, I'm hungry, Adam. Adam reaches up, picks a ripe peach, hands it to Eve. Man, Adam, what a farmer. How long does it take to grow a tree like that? Three days. You can't grow a tree with ripe fruit in three days. Yeah. If we're going to believe the creation account as it's written, we have to believe we have a God that doesn't need time. Amen. Amen. By the way, Amen. His miracles prove it. They certainly do. I mean, you look at John chapter 2, the wedding at Canaan. What's He do? He takes six water pots. How many days in the creation week? Where He worked. Six. Six, oh, that's true. six that's water good, pots. Oh. Six days in the creation week, he creates what tastes like fully mature wine. He created fully mature people, plants, everything in six days. He does six water pots. Same thing. Actually, that's parallel to the uh, Septuagint account, the, the Greek account of the Old Testament. It, what's Genesis 1? In the beginning. John 1 in the beginning. Genesis 2. Man into marriage. John 2, where we just were with the wedding. Man into marriage. Genesis 3, the fall, the curse. John 3, the answer to the fall, the curse. And it goes on. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are paralleling in either the Greek or the thought to the first 11 chapters of John.
1: Fantastic. Beautiful
2: said.
1: I got this from an atheist I debated twice on his podcast. And he told me, well, if God knows everything then why didn't he just stop Adam from sinning? I mean, after all, why are we going through all this? Why didn't God just say, hey, I know that's going to happen and stop it? You want to start on that one, Eric? Sure, I'd be happy to. That
3: the big question we have to ask is, is God the author, the creator of evil? Or is evil the result of man having the choice to choose to love God or reject God, obey God or disobey God? And the reality is God put the first two perfect humans in a perfect environment with only one restriction. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you're going to physically die and you're going to spiritually die. So Adam and Eve were actually given the ability to choose God's way or the way of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And we know that the tempter, Satan, did come and tempted them. So it, the only way God could keep them from sinning was to not give them the choice to sin. It's the same choice you have, and it's the same choice I have. We've been put in the same circumstance, and we have chosen willingly of our own volition to disobey God. We've chosen to reject God's commandment, God's teaching, the conscience that's written on our heart. We've chosen to disobey, so I don't think we can be too hard on Adam and Eve, and we can't blame God for a ruined, a ruined and wrecked creation. That's our fault. That's man's fault. God is the one who wanted, who created a perfect world, and will restore a perfect world one day. And man, tell, I I hadn't thought about the way you just phrased what you said. It. I wrote it down in my notes here, and I I hope you guys are taking notes, guys. This. You guys that are watching this conference and this Q&A are getting a lot of great information. It, that just proves nature versus nurture wrong. It is the, the state of the human heart. We are sinners by nature that need uh, a savior. So Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, satisfy the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And uh, they wanted to pretend like they knew better than God. And if you guys that are watching, and if I'm honest with myself we would have to say, you know what? We fall for the same lie day after day. We think that money or power or fame or sex or something, material possession is gonna give us fulfillment, and it doesn't. Because God says, listen, none of that's gonna satisfy. Only a true relationship with Christ is gonna bring about true joy, true fulfillment, true happiness. You can have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of that when you truly trust God what God has said. God wants us to choose to love him above all else. Adam has flunked the test. God sent Jesus Christ as the redeemer. You and I have flunked, but if we trust in Christ, we can be restored. So the reality is that is a great lesson that tells us and leads us right to the story of salvation uh,
1: is is what that question leads us to. Which is where
0: you ended, Job. So anything you would want to add? Uh
1: Because he switched into preacher mode, so preach it, brother. Anything
0: you would add to this thought or question?
2: Oh, he really did a good job on that one.
0: I (laughs) I like that. Well, I will (laughs) say this. Even as you were talking, Eric, a a thought came to me, and I realized I have four grandchildren now. Uh, Two of them are little boys, uh, toddlers, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And and I can give them instruction and tell them, don't do this, do that. And, And I could literally constrain them... TO WHERE THEY WERE UNABLE TO DISOBEY. I COULD LOCK THEM IN A CAGE, OR, or LOCK THEM IN a, a PADDED ROOM, AND THEY COULDN'T DO ANY HARM. BUT, but THAT WOULD NOT ALLOW THEM to, TO GROW AND TO MATURE INTO THE MEN OF GOD that, THAT THEY ARE DESTINED TO BE, I PRAY. AND SO THEY HAVE A CHOICE, AND SOMETIMES THEY CHOOSE POORLY. BUT mm. uh, THEY ARE GROWING AND LEARNING. AND SOMEDAY I PRAY THAT THEY WILL PUT THEIR FAITH IN JESUS CHRIST, AND BE RESTORED IN A RELATIONSHIP WITH HIM. I DON'T THINK GOD CREATED US TO BE AUTOMATIONS. Mm-hmm. HE CREATED US TO HAVE A FREE WILL, BUT TO BE ABLE TO REFLECT HIS LOVE AND GLORY BACK TO HIM Amen. BY CHOOSING TO EMBRACE THE SALVATION HE OFFERS. AND, and THAT'S yeah. THE ONLY ANALOGY I CAN...
2: WELL, HE WANTS A LOVE RELATIONSHIP WITH US, WITH yes. HIS CREATURES. AND YOU DON'T HAVE THAT IF WE'RE ROBOTS. Mm-hmm. YEAH. Mm-hmm. I JUST WANT TO
3: ADD ONE MORE THING HERE. I. I when you think about the purpose of creation, when you, when you read the Bible, you cannot come away, you, especially Isaiah, which is you know, a lot of the prophecies there, Isaiah chapter 40, 41, 42. God keeps going over and over. I'm God. I've, I've done this to glorify myself. I, I'm going to get all the glory for this creation. God cannot get more glory than when we choose to love him. I mean, like you said with your kids, you could tie them up. You could make them say, I love you. But when they're forced to say it, it means nothing. Now, when those grandkids are growing up and they choose to spend time with grandma and grandpa, wow. Now that that's of their own choice, they've said, I want to love you. My kids are 15, 17, and 19. And as they grow up, as they get out of the house and then decide to come back and spend time with mom and dad, oh, it doesn't get better than that because then we know this is of your own choice. You're choosing to spend time with me rather than me forcing you to spend time with me. And in a, in a probably a very poor analogy, that's kind of the way it is with God when we choose to love him. He doesn't force us to. Recently,
0: my, my, my four-year-old grandson had, had acted out and had been uh, chastised, and I even told him I was disappointed. And he came over and laid his, sho- his head on my shoulder and said, I know Saba. And, and, and just in that moment of, of true confession, and for that moment at least, true repentance, it, I, I was gladdened in my heart. They call me Saba because that's the Hebrew name for grandfather or old man, my wife thinks. But it, it showed that his little tender heart is being turned in a direction. That will take years of of growth and maturing. And and the Lord is is patient with us because I'm still growing and maturing. All of us are to become more Christ-like. But I think that manifests again the glory of God in us if we put our roots down in Jesus Christ as the true vine.
1: Amen. And when you think about it too, all of human history is about getting us back into the Garden, even Eden, relationship with God again, where we walked and talked and had fellowship with Him. But He doesn't want to populate like robots is the perfect thing. He wants us to choose Him, and who's going to be with Him on the new earth forever? Those who choose Him. Hmm. I mean, wouldn't you want to be with somebody who wants to be with you, rather people that are forced to be with you? That's a beautiful idea. boy. You, you, this question has kind of hit all our preacher moods here. <laughs> sure has. Yeah, well, so, he,
2: he says, "What is yeah. the greatest commandment?" To love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And then what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your closest neighbor? Your wife. Okay. L- love her like you love yourself. You know, your kids, your grandkids, and then go out. So, yeah, God is, that's important to our Lord.
0: But, but even Joshua points out in other places that we have to choose. And sometimes not just a one-time choice. Oh, I choose years ago. Really? I, I couldn't tell. So we must choose day by day, hour by hour, sometimes moment by moment whom we will serve, whom we will love, and as Joshua said, that's for me. And I can't even always speak for my Mm -hmm. house, but I certainly try to set that tone. But I choose to serve and honor and love the Lord, and that I think is is the greatest aspiration any of us could have.
1: Amen. 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 Well I wish we had time to show you the remainder of Dr. Martin's presentation where he counters the Big Bang and theistic evolution. If you'd like to watch this entire presentation, along with the other three in the series, You can get the Epic Battles Conference on a three DVD album for a gift of $25 or more using the contact info below.
0: In the last episode in this series, I will be addressing a literal rapture or tribulation to endure. So tune in next week. But before we sign off, we want to let you know about our next exciting conference. Godspeed.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, the storm is here. Watchmen are shouting their warnings that Jesus is standing at the very precipice of heaven, ready to return and snatch away the church in the rapture. Are you ready? Equip yourself to understand the signs of the end times that point to the imminent return of Jesus Christ by joining your fellow watchmen at the Lamb and Lion Ministries 2022 Bible Prophecy Conference this July 23rd, held at First Baptist Church in Forney, Texas, a suburb east of Dallas. Our theme this year is Storm Warning, the Urgency of the Rapture. Tim Moore and Nathan Jones will be joined by the Prophecy Pros, Jeff Kinley and Todd Hempson, along with several other special gifted speakers get your Bible questions answered during two question and answer sessions arrive a day early and join us for a special gathering Friday evening seating is limited so secure your reservation today from our website at lamblion.com you won't want to miss this conference for all the world